Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page 3 for the reading of Scripture. I'm going to read, actually, just, um, just this section that's in chapter 8. You can have the rest of it for some extra credit reading following uh, the service as you guys look at this later on in the week. Um, so would you listen now with open ears as I read from Mark chapter 8, verse 27, and I'm going to read up through verse 38. Listen now with open ears. And Jesus went with, on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter asked him, Peter, Peter answered him, excuse me, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he answered them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for, for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Holy and omnipotent and exalted God, we come before you now recognizing uh, that this room is no doubt uh, consisting of people that come from all sorts of different places. Some of us have come in here and we are in a season of blessing and comfort, of ease. Others of us come in here and we are in a, a season of difficulty. Some of us are here with deep uh, problems in our bodies. Others of us are dealing with uh, a long and annoying depression. Some of us battle... Uh, anxiety and worry on seemingly a daily basis. Lord, others of us come in here and we have believed in you and we do believe in you. Others of us come in here and we have uh, significant and very deep doubts about you. We wonder whether you're real and if you are, whether you're good. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are here uh, in a season of gratefulness or of despair, you know, whether we come here with faith or dealing with many doubts, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we all come here ultimately the same. We all have an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see how you are and have addressing this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. 
We are in our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark uh, that we are calling Immediately, The Urgent Mission of Jesus Christ. And I want to start off this sermon, and I've been trying to think of a way to do it without depressing you, but I couldn't find one, so I'm sorry, okay? I want you to do this, everyone, if you could, all right? I want you to think of, and it doesn't have to be the worst, okay, but I want you to think of one regret you have in your life, okay? One regret you have in your life, right? Even kids included, right? One thing that you wish you had done differently, I now have uh, actually just this, uh, recently added a third child to this app we call Greenlight. And Greenlight is a way for parents to teach their kids about money, right? And they can, you know, help them set aside money for savings and giving and all sorts of things. And as I was talking to my kids about it, um, I began to think back to when I was uh, younger you know, and I had a job, and I thought about buying Amazon stock in 2000. That was depressing. As I began to do the math of what life might be like today had I made that decision, right? So part of uh, why I didn't do that, right, part of why I didn't make that decision is because I was too focused on the here and now and wasn't able to think about the future, right? And I find that I actually still, still deal with this temptation to be obsessed with the here and now and to not think about the future. One of the ways, by the way, one of the ways that you can avoid this in life, whatever the area, whether it's professionally or as a parent or as a single person, as a kid, one of the ways that you can avoid this is by inviting people into your life to do what might be called coaching. Right? So when we started Ironworks, I had uh, an incredible coach. He's not with us anymore. Uh, he went to be with the Lord. But we had an incredible coach who would sit me down, and he would just lay out for me what's about to happen and what I need to do. And I would just listen. It was very unusual for me. But simply listen and then go do everything he said. <laughs> and I, I can't tell you how grateful I am for it, because this man had the experience to be able to help me not be obsessed and consumed with the here and now, but to give me insight to what was coming and to what I ought to be thinking about. Right? I wonder how many of you have someone in your life that's coaching you in any way. Right? Tremendous value in being pulled out of the tyranny of the urgent to be coached, to think about things that if you do them in 10, 20 years, you'll look back with incredible gratitude for that. Well, friends, as I've been thinking about this passage and been thinking about you and praying for you, one of the things that will come out of the comments that are made in this passage is some of what I believe is the absolute most valuable coaching that you could ever have in your entire life, right? The absolute most best, most worthwhile coaching you could ever have in your entire life because these words don't simply come from a guy who's lived, uh, you know, seen enough church plans to know what to do, right, in my case. But these words come from the author of creation, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is, uh, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating conversations uh, in the Gospel of Mark as Jesus interacts first with Peter and then secondly with his disciples. And what's happening here is, this is actually a uh, a semi-climactic part of Mark's account. It's also a turning point. 
So if you read any of the commentaries on Mark, they all seem to agree that this is a semi-climactic moment in Mark's gospel, right? The climax, of course, being the resurrection that we will cover uh, in a little while here. But what's going on is that Jesus has been conducting miracles, he's been preaching, he's been going about from town to town, and what's been happening is that people have a variety of opinions about him. You see that come up um, in our passage here in the first paragraph. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? And similarly, uh, as, as in our current context, people have different things to say. So verse 28 uh, they said, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been murdered, by the way. So some folks were saying that he's John the Baptist. Uh, others say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. And Jesus asked his own disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter, as is often the case, answers on behalf of all of them. Right? And what does he say? He says, you are the Christ. Now, he is not using Jesus' last name, right? He's not saying to Darren, you are the Pestnell, right? <laughs> okay. He, so we call Jesus of Nazareth, right? His last name would have probably been Jesus, son of Joseph, okay? Right? But we call him Jesus Christ, and the reason is because Christ is actually a term for who he was. In, in Hebrew, it would be called the Messiah, Right? Literally, the one upon whom God's anointing is. Right? So when David was set aside as king, he had oil poured on him to designate that this was God's chosen man to lead Israel. And throughout the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures, there were spoken of one, various terms. Right? But the summary of those terms was the one upon whom God's anointing really is. Right, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Christ. And so when Peter says, answers on behalf of the disciples, we believe that you are God's chosen one. Right? We believe that you are the king that is to come. We, are, we believe that you are the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We believe you are the one who will have total and absolute authority and power on earth to do God's will, to change this world in every way that it needs to be changed. Right, that is what Peter is declaring before him. And in, in kind of a rare moment in the Gospels, this is a rare moment that Peter gets it right. right? And it's interesting, by the way, if you, when you read in the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice, and you'll notice in just a few minutes actually, that Peter is, is very often the one who is putting his foot in his mouth. Right? You know, I, he, he was my disciple, basically, okay? <laughs> he's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always saying the wrong thing. He's always um, portrayed in a light that isn't exactly the best. And what's interesting about that is, is that the Gospel of Mark was written by Peter's assistant, right? Mark served as Peter's assistant, and so the Gospel of Mark is largely the Gospel as told by Peter. So most of the time, and we'll see this in just a moment, that Peter is often getting it wrong, but in this uh, rare moment in the entirety of Mark's gospel, Peter answers it absolutely right. And friends, I want to tell you, uh, before we go on any further, right, I know that the, this room is always, every Sunday, is consisting of folks who do believe uh, in Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as someone who really did come, rise from the dead, suffer, 
on behalf of sinners so that sinners just like me and you can be absolutely forgiven and can live beyond the 70, 80, 100 years that we have on this earth, right? that we can live forever in joy and peace in a world that will work where there's no more sin or suffering or sorrow and death. Many of you believe that and have believed that. Some of you are here and you're not sure. You're saying, I don't know what I believe. I don't know if that makes sense. Others of you here and you're on the opposite end and you're like, no, I'm, I'm just here to be nice to my family and I don't believe any of that. Right? I think that, that makes no sense. What I want to say to all of you, wherever you happen to sit on that spectrum, right, there is no escaping the question that Jesus asked his disciples, just as he asked it to them, so also all of you hearing this scripture, hearing this sermon, are asked and you all answer, whether you open your mouths or not, you all answer this question, who do you say that I am? Right? Who do you say that Jesus is? Right? Some of you are saying, Darren, your logic is faulty, right? Because I don't know. I don't know who he is. Right? I mean, it's, you know, maybe there's some truth to this, maybe not. I'm not the I'm not the person to ask, right? Here's the problem though with that answer. If you're answering it that way in your head, this is what a challenge I want to throw out to you. Right? You might not have to know who everyone in the world is, right? You might not know, happen to know who everyone in the world is, right? Um, for example, David Koresh. I really don't think you need to go spend your time like trying to investigate, was he actually the chosen one to save the world, right? You know, you don't need to go do that for everyone. However, when it comes to world history, there is not a single person's life who has impacted the entirety of the world and the entirety of history more than the man, Jesus Christ. Right? Whatever you have to say about him, whether you believe that he uh, was authentic or was a fraud, whether you happen to believe that he was a nice guy but kind of confused, or whether you believe that he was God incarnate, right? whatever you believe about him it is intellectually dishonest to say anything less than he is the most profoundly impactful human being in world history. All right, that is the reality. So yes, you do not need to go investigate every person who claims to be something. But in the case of Jesus Christ, it is intellectually dishonest to not investigate his claims. Right, his life has been too impactful in this world to simply say that it is not worth your time. And so then we are, if that is true, then we are left with answering this question ourselves, who do we say that he is? Right? And I want to ask you, I want you to answer this in your own head. Who do, I, who do I say that the man Jesus Christ is? Right? And here's a, a problem that C.S. Lewis uh, often pointed out. Right? Some folks uh, are, are often wanting to say, I believe that he was a good teacher. Right? He was a good teacher, but people take it too far. Right? In other words, if you're in the West, you're saying, look, I believe that, you, yes, he taught that we should love our neighbors and that we should care for the poor, and that is exactly right, because I happen to agree with that. Right? He believed that we should be good to others, and that is exactly right, but you know, all that stuff about like, who you should sleep with and not, how you should do that, like, way out of date. Right? I, don't, I don't agree with that at all. Right? Well, here's the problem, right? 
Jesus Christ, yes, he was a good teacher. Yes, he lived an absolutely moral, exemplary life. But he does not correct Peter, right? He does not correct him when Peter says, you are not simply a good teacher. You did not simply get it right. You are not simply an exemplary human being. He says, you are the one. And Jesus does not correct him, right? And in fact, it will go so far um, that Jesus will actually allow his disciples to worship him, that he will be presented not simply as a teacher, but that as God himself, as God incarnate, who will suffer for sins and be raised from the dead, right? And so we can't say that he was simply a good teacher because if he was a good teacher, good teachers have integrity, right? Like if you have a teacher or pastor or a coach who tells lies all the time, he's not a good teacher at that point, right? He's not a good teacher and you shouldn't listen to him. And so if Jesus Christ said and acknowledged that he is the one, that he is God incarnate, that he is deserving of worship, that he will come to judge the living and the dead, and he was wrong about that, then he's not a great teacher. And so C.S. Lewis said this. He said, your three options for who you believe that Jesus was or is are these three. Either A, he's a liar. Either B, he's a lunatic, like he was kind of crazy in the head. Or C, he is Lord. That's who he is. So who do you say that he is? Friends, I want to just tell you... um, I'm not exactly sure why, uh, you know, I, I've sort of went along in my life. I'm now, I guess I'm going to be 41 in a couple of months here, and I went along most of my life with absolutely no death in my family, except for um, my grandfather, right? Absolutely no death. And in the last, like, three years, we have had three deaths very close to each other, including one uh, last weekend of my sister-in-law, right? Died all of a sudden in a fire. And I have, it has been uh, on my mind how ridiculously fast this life is going by. I can think back to when I was a teenager, thinking about being 41 is this ancient, faraway time, right? It's occurring to me that when my, uh, I was d- doing the math this morning of when my littlest will graduate high school. No reason, by the way. Just, um, just curious. And uh, it occurred to me that I will be in my 50s, right? And I'll tell you that, I don't know what your experience about it is, but it, is, it has been very strongly on my mind that if this world is all that exists, if this is only, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 years of toil and pain and sickness and cancer, if that is all there is, right, and that is the most tragic thing I've ever heard. But there has to be more. And the ancient scriptures that have impacted the world more than any other document, that the man Jesus Christ says, there is more, there is life, there is something else past the 70, 80, 90, 100 years, something so absolutely profoundly amazing, and it's offered to you. And so... Uh, I've been thinking about this in a very existential way, not in a more theoretical way. Um, And so that question is before you today. Who do you say that he is? Is he Lord? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Who do you say that he is? And here's the problem, by the way, with this. And this is one of the reasons that I think answering that question is so hard. Right? Your opinion about David Koresh, for example, 
let's just say, like your opinion about other folks doesn't necessarily impact your life so much, right? We could even, I could even commit a cardinal sin right now, okay? Your opinion about Donald Trump doesn't affect your life in the same way that your opinion about this man does, right? You know, folks can disagree about all sorts of things, right? The problem is, what you believe about Jesus Christ has profound implications on the decisions you will make in your life, right? Because Jesus isn't, isn't simply someone who claims to have some answers. He claims to be the Lord, the one who has absolute authority, that one to whom he says, everyone one day will bow unto me, will surrender their lives unto me. He claims to be the Lord of all creation, the Lamb upon the throne. And, you know, Tim Keller points out, he says, you know, therefore, when you go to study history, when you, if you go to study the historical evidence for whether he was real, whether he did rise from the dead, who he is, he's like, you have to realize that you study that profoundly biased, Right? Because the answer that you get is not simply going to satisfy intellectual curiosity. It's going to change the rest of your life. And that's uh, what happens here in this encounter. Right? So Peter answers him. He says, you are the Christ. Uh, you are the Christ. And Jesus tells him to tell no one. We'll get into that perhaps in another time. Um, but when Peter makes that confession... On one hand, it's free, and on the other hand, it's profoundly costly. What do I mean by that? On one hand, it's free. It didn't cost him anything to say that. It doesn't cost you anything if you were to confess that today, right? If you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm persuaded that Jesus is a, was a real human being who lived, whom scripture and history and all of the forensic evidence declares that, yes, he actually has been proven to have risen from the dead, that his claims have been proven over history, and I believe that he's coming again. I believe that this world, the 70, 80, 90, 100 years, is not all there is. The things he said are true and real. Right? If that's true, and if you do confess that, then what you are confessing is that he has authority to, over the entirety of your life. One, one theologian said this, that he has authority over every square inch of your life, right? And one, one comparison was the military. I thought that was a helpful comparison. They said, you know, it's free to join the military. You can join today. It's absolutely free, right? But it also is absolutely costly. And it's kind of similar here. Jesus um, affirms Peter's confession, and then it says in verse 31, and this is the turning point in Mark's gospel, it says this. He said, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And then verse 32 uh, contrasts the previous uh, sections in Mark where it says, and he said this plainly. And I want to point out something that's uh, shocking and helpful to me on all sorts of levels. You see, here is Peter in his one moment of getting it right in the book of Mark. Right? I identify with this man at a deep level. Okay? This is one moment of getting it right. He didn't put his foot in his mouth. He said something that was not criticized in any way. He got it right. He said, you are the Christ. And then in the next breath, 
You have to, you have to see this because this is, this is well, sh- so shocking. He gets it absolutely right. He's had the most incredible victory of the entire story. And in the next breath, the one that he has just declared to be Lord of all creation, the absolute chosen one, the one to whom every knee will bow, the one who knows all things, who's omnipotent in knowledge and power and wisdom and insight, he, he approaches this one that he's just declared all these things about, and he tells him he's mistaken. Right? Think about that. Jesus, um, well, let me pull you aside. Let me explain to you some things. He said, literally says, he pulled him aside. Right? And I want you to appreciate the profound arrogance, the profound <laughs> out to lunch that he was in that moment as he has just said, you are the one, you are the chosen one, you are the Lord, you are the one. And then he pulls him aside and he's like, but you are also mistaken. You are also confused, right? And how does Jesus respond to that? I think that how he responds uh, is helpful for us understanding why it is that we do the same thing. And by the way, if you don't think you do the same thing, Right? If you're sitting here like laughing at Peter in your own heart, okay? I just want to ask you, when's the last time you read the scriptures and then you walked away and you effectively did something completely different? Right? When's the last time? We're going to see that in this passage. There are some things that are going to be said that are absolutely outrageous to you. But they're said by one that some of you have just confessed is the Lord of all creation, the Lamb upon the throne. And then you, you might be tempted to go home today and to live in precisely the opposite direction, right? Basically, you're Peter. I'm Peter. Let's all hug, okay? We're all, we're all in that place. So, so let's not be too critical on him lest we be critical ourselves. Let's look at what happens here. Uh, Peter responds in verse 33. Excuse me, Jesus responds in verse 33, and this is what he says to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And friends, this, this comment just has shocked me out of my chair so deeply. Right? In the moment of Peter's greatest victory, which was a victory, there's no doubt about that, in the moment of his rare getting it right like he had never gotten it right before, in that moment there was satanic activity directed at him. Do you see that? In his greatest success was the presence of Satan to the point that Jesus actually says, Satan is the one speaking through you right now. Right? It doesn't last very long. You know, his success was very short-lived. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but the things of man. And by the way, just as an aside, this is how we, at Ironworks here, we believe that Satan and demons are real, that they are at work all the time, right? That you're experiencing their work in your life in all sorts of ways that you don't know. Uh, we believe that that's true. We just believe it's different than you think, right? If you watch Netflix, Netflix has a lot of these kind of genres going on now. Not sure why, right? Of, you know, evil kind of haunting houses and things like that. In the scriptures, it doesn't often happen that way. How does it happen? Answer, it makes you arrogant, right? When you're arrogant, you might be experiencing the presence of Satan in that moment. 
Right? When you're setting your mind on the things of man, not the things of God, which is the language Jesus uses here, you might be experiencing the power and the presence and the influence of Satan, and you don't even know it. Right? That's what was happening here. It's why Peter would do something so irrational, just like you and I often do something so irrational. But Jesus will respond to him in a way that uh, is really the, the meat and potatoes of this text, uh, and that I want to look at with you in the, just a couple minutes that remains. So what Jesus does next is, in verse 34, he calls the crowd to him with his disciples, and he says these words. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And friends, I want to just uh, kind of leave this with you as you go out from here. I want to just be very plain about this. Jesus Christ is looking you straight in the eye and saying, look, I'm, I'm the coach that knows how this is going to end. I'm the one that's pulling you out of the here and now, the tyranny of the urgent, right? Telling you to buy Amazon in 2000, right? Because 2019, things will look a lot different. I'm the one who knows this, and this is what he's saying to you. The way for you to find what you long for is to leave behind the things that you probably think are going to satisfy you. Whoever would find his life is the one who loses it so that he can follow me. I have to tell you, um, I had an absolutely amazing time yesterday at the Big Hope Summit, led by our own Rob Maddox. And at this summit, there were folks that got up and they shared their story of doing foster care. Right? And I remember this one guy getting up and saying how, you know, he was so nervous to tell his wife that he sort of offered a foster child to come into their house. And so he was trying to like think about how to say this to her. And he was like, well, this kid is kind of under the impression that he can come live with us. And, you know, <laughs> and he, the climax of the story, she says to him, well, I hope you told him yes. Right? And then this man and his wife went on to host six children all, all together. And I'll tell you what was so striking to me as I think about that, I think about uh, how daunting that sounds is that this man spoke with profound joy. He didn't speak as someone who's been beat up all over the place emotionally and hurriedly. He didn't speak as someone who has regrets. He spoke as someone who knew a deep and a rich and a profound joy. Because I believe that he got this in that moment, that when he saw an opportunity to lose his life for the sake of others and the sake of the gospel, his wife had the wisdom to push him in that direction, that what they found was a deep and a profound joy that they didn't have previously. One of the other interesting statistics, by the way, um, of foster care and adoption that is interesting is what what's, was said on yesterday and said, actually, um, I've heard from others is, you know what the hardest thing about foster care is, what I've heard, hardest thing, it's giving the kids back. Right, that's what I've heard, that uh, sometimes you have to do that uh, if you don't end up adopting them. And that's it's interesting to me because I can only think of the difficulties and the challenges. But here are folks who have believed the words of Christ, who have taken actions unto that end, 
And they stood before us yesterday, not minimizing the challenges, not minimizing or turning down the cost, but looking us straight in the eyes and saying, a life like this is worth it. And friends, I'll tell you, um, I want to tell you just very plainly that if you confess that Jesus is the Christ, then these words of Christ are directed to you in such a way that you have to decide, are you going to go and basically take Jesus aside and tell him he was confused? Or are you going to confess that he is the Lord of all creation, the Lamb upon the throne, and he knows what he's talking about? Right? And I want to just ask you to think about this today. I want you to go, when you go home and you have moments alone, how is he calling you to lose your life for someone else or something else? How is he calling you to walk away from comfort and walk toward difficulty and in so doing, find something so profoundly rich that you never expected? How is he calling you to do that? Right? The answer, by the way, is not foster care for all of you, and they, they really made that clear yesterday. But the answer is that you need to stop being obsessed, those of you who are, with comfort, security, and the here and now, and begin to at least ask the question. Begin to think about these things. You know, it's, uh, I think, so helpful, Peter's comments to P- uh, Jesus' comments to Peter. He says, the problem with you, the reason you're so confused and so arrogant, right, and so out to lunch that you would take me aside, right, the reason, in addition to Satan's presence with you, he says, is that you are not setting your mind on the things of God. Right? And that's effectively what I'm exhorting you unto today. Take some time today and set your minds on the things of God. And I'm going to close with uh, one last observation from this passage that absolutely broke my heart, that melted my heart, and I almost want to present that to you. You see, Jesus, as he's laying out this teaching for us, as he's uh, rebuking Peter harshly, I want to just show you something that I noticed for the first time and how he did that. Look with me uh, in verse 32. And this, this, this just absolutely took me back. It's talking about Jesus not using parables anymore. It's that he spoke this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And then look at verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples... Then he rebuked Peter. Do you see what's happening there? Right? And it's really incredible that Patrick led us to worship in Hebrews 4 because I'm about to quote that to you right now. Right? What does Hebrews 4 tell us? It says, let us draw near to Christ because we do not have a high priest who has not been tempted, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. What is going on in verse 33? Answer, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is experiencing temptation to be persuaded by David. That's what Hebrews tells us. He was tempted in every single way. And Peter takes him aside and says, you know, you don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to lose it all. You can actually be a Messiah who is able to rule and reign without the cross. That was his message. And Jesus, before he rebukes him, looks at his disciples Right, what is he doing? He's saying, I love these people too much to do that. I love these people too much to be persuaded by that logic. No, Peter. The way of God includes the cross. It cannot be done any other way. And friends, I hope you see in that as I do. 
right? First of all, that Jesus really was tempted. That's what Hebrews tells us. I believe it's what we see in this passage. Before he rebukes him, you know, he's sitting there saying, like, you know, maybe you have a point, right? Maybe you are right. I believe he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. But he looks at you. He says, no, Peter. I'm not going to avoid the cross. Because I love Daryl. I love Lydia. I love Ryan and Vienna. And for these, I must go to Calgary. I must go to the place of the skull. And friends, I just want to tell you that as Jesus calls you to a life that right now seems hard, that right now seems costly, if you're on the fence saying, I don't know what I'm going to confess here, right? I believe that you can trust him because look at the decisions that he made. Look at how committed to your joy he is. He's so committed to your joy, so committed to your blessing. He's so committed to you having a life far beyond all that you can ask or imagine that he looks at the logic of Peter, Satan speaking through Peter, and then he looks at you and he says, no, Peter, I will go to the cross. I will be rejected. I will suffer. And so friends, would you allow that to lead you into a worship that would result in today, tomorrow, the days to come, you setting your minds on the things of God and choosing life that is found in him? Let me pray for you.